Welcome to Trinity United Church Lagos podcast. And now for today's teaching. Since this is the first joint service in 2023, let me use the opportunity on behalf of the pastoral team and the council members to say a blessed new year to all of us. We know that the God who has power over all things would surely see us through. Remember that the Lord who speaks to calm the storms is still with us. I think the choir along the line somewhere, somewhere, you will sing Master the Tempest is Raging. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for this day. We bless you, Lord, for this year. And the fact that we can always make time and come into your presence. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And that is our delight as well. So Lord, we pray that we will never come into your presence and go back the same. Bless us. Bless us, Lord, to the full. Let your word be the light for our path that we so shall live for you and for your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, as we indicated for those of us who listened or joined us in the early part of the new year, the theme for this year is going on to maturity. Last year, we looked at raising Christ-like disciples. And it is clear by now, I think, in the hearts of everyone that Christianity is a religion, yes, but it goes beyond a religion. It is a religion of relationship that we will conform to the image of Christ. And therefore, there is no time that we can say we have arrived. We will have to continually go on to maturity. And for the whole of this year, our teaching services will focus on the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, which almost every time we profess in one way or the other, either the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. This morning's presentation will take two forms. I will speak trying to give us some understanding of the creeds. And then we will look at the first part of the creed that says, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Today we will focus more on I believe in God the Father. Trying to establish God's existence. Because it is only when we are sure that God exists that we can believe in him. Generally, when we talk about a creed, 
we can define the creed in the context of a Latin word, credo. And this credo, which is more of an active tense, gives the indication of I believe in. I believe in. It's a first person singular. And it gives us the indication, therefore, that there must be something you put your faith into. It is not, I believe that, or I do not believe that, but it is, I believe in. If we go into the Old Testament, we will find that there are rudimentary creeds that appear. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 to 9, every Israelite is expected to know this. The Lord our God is one. What they normally refer to as the Shema. The Lord our God is one. And it builds on to talk about the fact that we shall, you have to love him with all your heart, soul, etc., etc., and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the embodiment of a belief for every Israelite. And in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 5 to 9, there is another creed, another confession. Anytime an Israelite was going to present his first offerings to the Lord, when he gets to the priests, he must tell the priest a narrative. He must tell the priest that I am an Aramean. My fathers were Arameans. They were foreigners. And God brought them to this country and gave this land to them. And because he gave the land to them, I am expected as one who has cropped the land to present my first fruits. Because God deserves a part of it. And that is what I bring to him. So these are found in the Old Testament as confessions that are made first to strengthen their faith and also to help them know what they believe in. When we come into the New Testament, we find evidences of this, but in a different form. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 10, Paul draws attention to the fact that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, it means that there is the need for a confession to be made. And that is a creed. What we believe, we speak out. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 16, when the Ethiopian Enoch encountered Philip, before Philip could baptize him in Acts chapter 8, this man had to profess. He asked the Enoch to profess. Philip asked the Enoch to profess faith. He asked him, do you believe in Jesus Christ? He said, yes, I believe. And on that basis, he was baptized. And therefore, creeds have continually been a part of us from the Old Testament through to the New Testament. Now, as the church was growing, there were so many challenges that the church faced. A lot of heresies. People read the scriptures and they turn it the upside down. 
especially after the apostles had all died and the first and second generations began to come, by about 180 AD, it became very obvious that now that they know about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they must have something that really consolidates their belief. And so somehow it is believed that a form of creed appeared, which we normally refer to as the Apostles' Creed. The truth of the matter is that it was not written by the apostles. But they were confessed, they were professed by the apostles. The belief of this uh, church needed to be documented. And it generated gradually, and by 700 AD, it had really been taken the shape that we now have as the Apostles' Creed. The creed, generally, you will find that they are used at times of baptism. It offered the candidates the opportunity to make the confession as demanded in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to 10. But it was also used as a source of instruction. Those of you who have come from historic mainline churches like the Roman Catholic, Anglican, Methodist, Presbyterian, whatever forms they took, generally will find that before you are baptized as an adult, or when you are baptized as infancy, before you confirm your faith and receive the blessing of the priests, you must stand publicly before the church and make your, your confessions. You confirm the faith in which you have been baptized. In the second service, we'll have some baptism and confirmation. And they have to recite. We don't just bring you here and say, come, let's bless you and then you go. You must give evidence that you profess the faith of your parents or the faith into which you are going to be baptized. And one of the key things is the Apostles' Creed. The, every candidate must indicate clearly, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And also be, indicate, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And then, I believe in the Holy Spirit. In fact, all the content of the Apostles' Creed contains about 12 items of what we believe. And at this point, uh, in all our discussions, I highly recommend a book by one of our senior ministers, the Reverend Dr. Isaac Fukuo. Just coincidentally, when we were through thinking about this, he came and introduced this book to me. And I found it as a very good material. It's an excellent material down to earth. He has tried to break it down. We have copies at the entrance. Uh, please pick a copy. It's a required reading since I'm teaching. It's a required reading. My dear brothers and sisters, we also find that the creeds are used as a consolidation of our doctrine. This year, as we go through, I trust that the various teachers will help us to see how it packages all that we believe in.
But it is also used as part of a, a liturgy. Now, this church is, is, a, is a high church. Uh, one lady we invited last year said she has never heard the Nicene Creed said in the church, except in Trinity United Church. She's a Presbyterian, so she hasn't been to the Episcopalian churches. But the essence of it is that you realize that any day we have the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion, we use the Nicene Creed. And we'll come to understand this gradually as we move on. So these creeds are used to strengthen us at our baptism in terms of our catechism, our teachings, in terms of what we believe so that when somebody asks you what you believe in, you can say, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Now, these creeds have gone through a process. As I said, the beginning point, it was more of the Apostles' Creed. But in about the fourth century, it became obvious that they needed to consolidate the doctrine of Christ. Because in about 180 AD, one of the presbyters of the church had a reason called Marcion. And he said that when you read the Bible, it looks as if the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. Because the God in the Old Testament, when you misbehave, before he opens his eyes and closes it, about 500,000 people are dead. He looks like a, a, you know, a terror. But when you go to the New Testament, even when you sin, the God there says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just. So for him, he could not see the relationship between God in the Old Testament and God in the New Testament. And he began to spread so much heresies that the church had to sit up. And in about 325, a council of Nicaea was convened. A meeting where the bishops came together and realized that, look, the way these doctrines are spreading. In fact, at that point, in about the 4th century, what we call Arianism by a man called Arian had so emerged that he was even championing and saying that, look, Jesus is not the same as the Father. Jesus is not of the same substance as that of the Father. They are of different substances. So when you come to the Nicene Creed, uh, you will find that in the Nicene Creed, it talks more about Jesus Christ, his substance, his source, and he's the very God of very God. So that is an expanded version of the Apostles' Creed because at that point, the challenges needed to consolidate our belief in Christ. There was a third creed referred to as the Athanasian Creed. We normally do not confess it, but it exists. And it came to meet a need. It is attributed one of, to one of the early church fathers known as Athanasius. 
And it was more directed towards the Trinity. So you see that the Apostles' Creed begins by generally giving us idea of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then adds a little more about the church and the last things. Then the Nicene Creed picks it and expands it and brings more of Christ. And then the Athanasian uh, Creed adds more flesh to project very strongly the Trinity. Because the Trinity had become a very difficult topic to understand. Yet, it is a basis for our faith that God in three persons. So these three creeds, Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Athanasian Creed, are important creeds that were generated in the church to help the members consolidate their faith and be able to confess it without necessarily reading. And therefore, every member of the church was expected to know this thing of hand. If you are here and you cannot say the Apostles' Creed until it is projected, then you are, you are, you are behind. Because we are expected to profess this faith wherever we find ourselves. Now, having given us this background, let us look now at the beginning parts of the creed. The Apostles' Creed will say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The Nicene Creed will say, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. It's talking about God the Father. So the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God. Then the Nicene says, I believe in one God. And yet this one God is in three persons. Sometimes people have questioned the existence of God. Does God really exist? In fact, as I reflected on this, I realized that for those of us who grew up in the early years of mission schools, or even grew up in an environment when the church was gradually growing up, we are highly privileged. Because I grew up in a, an environment where when somebody greets you and say, how are you? You will say, by God's grace. Today when you say, how are you? You say, I'm good. So you realize that we grew up in an environment where you are helped to know, when you are even going to travel, you say, God willing, tomorrow I will travel. Now today, there is no God willing. God has already willed it. And the more serious part I realized, you know, the account says, no one teaches a child God. But the challenge we have, especially for the present little ones, is that right from infancy, we are introducing them to cartoons which are based on philosophies. A very small child begins to cry and the parent will take the phone and the child will search for a cartoon. You do not, you, your parent, you, the parent, you haven't looked at a cartoon. Those of you who are a bit older, you realize that in the 80s, 
no, no, in the 90s, there was this Captain Planet. Captain Planet, you are the hero. And every problem that comes up, Captain Planet will sort it. There is a philosophy behind it. It takes away the God factor of God who is the maker of heaven and earth. God who is in charge and puts all that authority in Captain Planet's hands. So God is sidelined and Captain Planet is the hero. And there are similar things. In fact, recently, my children were drawing my attention to the fact that there are some cartoons now that are even handling this issue of uh, gender, I mean transgender. And there are models, characters in the cartoon. You will see lesbians getting married. You will see transgenders in the cartoons. So those of you parents giving your phones out, you are selling your children's birthrights. If you want your child to watch a cartoon, you must have watched it yourself. Otherwise, by the time your child grows, some of you realize that now 14-year-old children, they are saying there's no God. Because their minds have been influenced by these cartoons and the movies. Which for some of us, during our time, we were not privileged to be influenced by those things. And therefore, people are now beginning to ask about the existence of God. But this morning, I think the simple proof I can give about the existence of God is a little poem I was taught when I went to the nursery. I'm sure some of you learned it. Who has seen the wind? Neither you nor I. But when the trees are bending low, the wind is passing by. If we have not seen the wind, but the evidence we see tells us that the wind exists, for which reason we have given it a name, then we don't need to see God to believe in him. The passage that was read in 1 Kings is about the Israelites getting to a point where they began to doubt God. And then Elijah, Eliyah, the Lord is my God. That is the meaning of his name. Decided to defend God. So he told King Ahab and Jezebel, gather together your priests. So 450 priests of Baal and 400 prophets were gathered. They went to Mount Carmel. He says, let us set two altars. Each one take a bull, set fire, call your God to consume the sacrifice. And I'm sure you heard the story. For about from morning to noontime, the priests of Baal were cutting themselves and calling. Then Elijah said, maybe your God is asleep. Shout louder. After some time, he took over. And he prayed a very simple prayer. And the Bible says that fire came from heaven and consumed everything, including the water in the trenches. And even the stones that were used to build the altar. And in the end, the people said, the Lord is God. Hallelujah. So one way by which we can prove the existence of God is to experience him. I want to challenge you. If you have doubt about God, tell him that God, I doubt you. Prove yourself to me. I remember when in the sixth form, there was one brother. We were all in the fellowship. You know, he was a good brother. Then at a certain point, he, he said no. He's come to a point 
the little six form physics and mathematics that he has learned. He said he doesn't exist, uh, believe in the existence of God. So we said we'll pray for him. And unfortunately, well, maybe, the Lord visited him with peptic ulcer. It was so severe that when he's even coming to class, he has to carry gari and sugar and be eating. He carried it through the whole year, even into the university. And then one day, he went to a man of God in Kumasi, and he prayed for him. And the ulcer ceased. And after that, he became a new person. So if you want evidence, ask God for evidence. So that he proves himself to you that he exists. But sometimes it can be terrible. Because our God is a consuming fire. But sometimes he comes in that small voice. And so we find that God proves himself as one who exists. Just as the wind proves itself as that which exists. We have been talking about COVID-19. Who saw COVID-19? Not even the doctors. Nobody could see and say, this is COVID-19. They depend on some characteristics. They say, oh, have you been doing this? Have you doing this? Then it's likely that it's COVID. Can you go for a test? Those things point to COVID-19. But we never saw COVID-19 physically. And yet we believe it has come. So to believe does not mean to see. It should not be, I believe because I see. We rather need to know that the whole of this world is based on faith. Those of you who did some sciences, did you ever see kinetic energy or potential energy? You were only told that when the energy is coming from a height, it is potential energy. When the energy is driven by velocity, then it is kinetic energy. That is, and there were so many formulas. Sometimes even the formulas that we need, they will add plus K, which is a constant. And that constant can make useful variables. So my brothers and sisters, the point I'm making is that science even thrives on faith. You remember when we had the COVID-19? Even the doctors themselves, they were confused. Today they say this, tomorrow they, and they say, well, we are all trying, it's a new case, and so we are now trying to look. So basically, that is the way we also come to know God. The more you relate with him, the better you come to know him. And so God is known to us through his affirmation of himself. And then the second part of the way he makes his existence known to us is through the scriptures. Because the scriptures is a record of how people encountered God and how they make him known to us so that we also can affirm our faith in him. One of the funny things I heard when I, I once was in the U.S. study was when they say, I be, uh, thank God for science. How do you thank God for science? Rather than thank God, because all that science is doing is researching. All the things that science does is basically 
that built on principles that are rudimentary. The laws of flotation, principles, Archimedes, and all this, they are based on things that exist. And so science is only trying to search anew what is already in existence. And even if there will be something new, you will find that it has some properties that are linked to that which exists. If you take the airplane, the design of the airplane is based on the way the bird flies. And so science cannot push God aside. Science would have had no work to do if God has not created. And that is why in our affirmation, we affirm that we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And that helps us in our understanding of life on this earth. In the philosophy of religion, they try to use arguments to prove the existence of God. And the scholars, as they are, normally will frighten us with all kinds of big, big words. They talk about the cosmological argument, the ontological argument, the teleological argument, the anthropological argument. All these arguments are basically trying to draw to a certain point. And I want to read something that one of these scholars have tried to use as a summary, David L. Cooper. He says, all these are summarized in stating that there is standing behind the universe a power adequate to produce the changes and the phenomena which we see today. That this power possesses intelligence and volition and that this being is a personal one who possesses in an infinite degree the attributes of intelligence, volition, and a moral character. Now, in summary, all, this, it, all that this means is that this world does not exist by heart. Somebody caused it into being. There is a force. There is a power. There is something behind. If you walk around and you find a watch lying there, the watch didn't just come to lie there. Somebody owns it. Somebody manufactures it. And then somebody buys it and you find it lying somewhere. So there is always a source. And these arguments are saying that behind this source is a person. is a power. It's a being. It's not a robot. It's one who has intelligence. We, as the model or image of God, demonstrate clearly that God is a person. He's a being. He possesses attributes. And he makes this manifest. And therefore, beloved, anytime we are affirming our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed, we are not just rattling words. We are saying that we believe in God. God who has been tested and proved 
to exist. The immortal God. He is there. And the evidence for us is the fact that even as we confess him, we also experience him. And we come to understand him. You know, there are some of the things that science tries to solve. I'm a, I'm a scientist. I've done science. So I'm not talking just like that. There are so many things that science has done to improve life. But that does not make science a replacement for God. God exists. And we have to believe in him. So that by that confession, whether in the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, what we are saying, that we can testify that this God exists. Now let me end our discussion by reading from Isaiah chapter 40, from verse 12 to 15, and then 18 to 26. Isaiah chapter 40, from verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth on in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge? And showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. And are accounted as the dust of the skills. Behold, he takes up the coastlines like fine dust. Verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compares with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold. And casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. 
What picture of God do you have? And do you believe in God the Father Almighty? Or you just come to church? My dear brothers and sisters, as we affirm this, we are not believing in an abstract. We are believing in a personality, a being, God the Father Almighty. Let us bow our heads and pray. If you are not clear in your mind about God's existence, as I said, God is a, such a loving God. If you want him to prove to you that he exists, if you tell him, he will do that. But if you believe in him, I want you to bless your heart. Tell your heart, the, the death of your life, that I believe in you. God, the Father Almighty, maker of heavens and earth. We are glad you joined us for today's episode. To engage with us and more, kindly search for Trinity United Church on YouTube and Facebook and follow us. You can also join us every Sunday on the premises of the Trinity Theological Seminary Labor. Thank you.